Welcome back to Russian Roulette, the podcast from the Russia and Eurasia program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. I am your host, Jeff Mankoff, and in this episode of Russian Roulette, I'm interviewing Melinda Herring, who is the editor of the Ukraine Alert blog at the Atlantic Council of the United States and a fellow at the Foreign Policy Research Institute. We're going to be talking about the upcoming Ukrainian elections, what we can expect, uh, and what uh, the outcome might be. Uh, for all you Ukraine and post-Soviet watchers, I think it's a, a really important topic, and I hope you'll you'll get something from it. Let's get started. I'm in the studio today with Melinda Herring from the Atlantic Council, and we're going to be talking about the Ukrainian election. Uh, Melinda, welcome to Russian Roulette. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's a great pleasure to be here. So Ukraine has had some fairly dramatic elections uh, in the past. Um, we have another one, presidential election coming up in the spring and then a parliamentary election next fall. Um, do you expect more fireworks? So if you go to Kiev right now, there's huge enthusiasm. There's billboards everywhere. People are running around like crazy. There's more than 20 presidential candidates who've already declared. So there's a huge amount of energy. But the race itself, as it looks now, is kind of a predictable outcome. Most mm -hmm. analysts I know think it looks like President Petro Poroshenko, the incumbent, versus Yulia Tymoshenko in the first round. Ukraine, of course, will hold two presidential rounds because no candidate will make it right. to the 50% mark in the first round. So, I mean, that's a little surprising because if there's one thing that's been a constant in Ukrainian politics over the last couple of decades, it's been that there's always this push for change. This People are not happy with the status quo and they want something different. So it's, it's kind of interesting that the two leading candidates are the incumbent and then a former prime minister. So there's two, two points on that. First, if you study uh, Ukrainian uh, voting history, Ukrainians don't like incumbents. Right, they've only ever reelected one president in in the history of Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine's history is not very long. You could, you could counter that, but they've only ever reelected one one guy. So that 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 that's one thing to consider as well. Um, the other point is that there's this tension. There's a, a tension because if you talk to Ukrainians, they hate everyone. They 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 tell you that they hate all the candidates. They're so sick of it. They want new faces, and yet they vote for the old faces. So there there is a tension. There's definitely a desire for new faces, but none of those new faces. Cases so far have, have made it on the public stage, it, it, the national public stage. Right. Now, I think it's important to point out that when you say that Poroshenko and Timoshenko are the, the likely front runners who are going to get through to the second round, that doesn't mean that they have widespread support, right? That's right. So in the last poll that I saw, Timoshenko was only at 11 percent and everyone else is under 10 percent. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's, you know, if you look at it and you trust the polls, which I don't do, you know, you could say it's it's any man's guess who's going to be in, in the, the second round. But that, that's just a naive, uh, you know, very basic way to look at it. Yulia Timoshenko is I am not endorsing any candidates, so let's just be clear. But in my view, she is the most talented politician in Ukraine. She's a firebrand. Uh, she's a populist. She's incredibly powerful. She hugs and kisses everyone. She looks you in the eye. She makes you believe that, that you love her, even if you despise uh, her, her, her politics. politics. Yeah. yeah. But Poroshenko, too, you know, you can criticize him as wooden, as cheesy. He's very thin-skinned. <laughs> he hates criticism. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's also an incredible campaigner. And this is something to bear in mind. Uh, one political technique technologist I like in Kiev describes him as like a rocket. When he when Poroshenko gets on the campaign trail, uh, you better get out of the way. So he may be wooden right now, but give him a little bit of time. I, I, I think that, that we may be surprised by, by Poroshenko on the campaign trail. 
So let's talk a little bit about substance. I mean, what are the the big issues that the race is being fought over and how do the platforms of the leading candidates diverge? So the big issue right now among voters is actually the war. And you see this Mm -hmm. in all the slogans on billboards. The word peace is everywhere. So every party has to talk about the Donbass. If you look at the polling, it's the issue that people care about Mm -hmm. the most, that and corruption, and also the economy. I'd say those are the three top issues. So when you say the Donbass, do you mean getting the Donbass back or ending the war? So if you look at polling, Ukrainians don't think that this war is going to end anytime soon. The the majority of Ukrainians know that this is going to take a long time. But everyone wants peace, right? And it's a a cheap slogan. If you dig into it, no one really, as far as I've seen, has any great ideas, anything that's realistic. But it's a slogan that everyone's pursuing because I think the parties have seen this is, there's a desire for peace. The war has touched so many Ukrainians' uh, lives already, and people are, are sick of it. People are really sick of it. The economy uh, basically started to improve a little bit this year. Tiny, tiny fraction. I think it's 3.2%. But people aren't feeling it. I, I'm a reporter and I talked to you know a cross-section of people. I just got back from Kiev, Ivano-Frankivsk, and Lviv. And the, your average person is not feeling any kind of gain. I mean, the economy is a big mm-hmm. issue. And that's one uh, area where Timoshenko has placed herself. She has this new splashy uh, slogan. It's called the new course, the new course for Ukraine. She rolled it out earlier this year with much fanfare. She brought in all the think tank scholars. She brought in civil society. Uh, and she she did something very un-Timoshenko-like. She, she uh, typically gives these firebrand speeches, mm-hmm. but she brought in the graphs this time. And she, <laughs> she, 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 she was, you know, talking, she was talking about economics. I mean, if you analyze it and you talk to good economists, mm-hmm. they'll tell you that her ideas don't hold up and they're crazy, right? That, that, that if you did her policies, mm-hmm. you would bankrupt the country. Uh, but she, she's hit the sweet spot. But, but they look impressive because they have graphs and numbers and... That's what she's hoping. Yeah. That's what she's hoping. I mean, the, the, it, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a change in the way that she's talked in the past and she's trying to position herself. So Yuli Tymoshenko and Petro Poroshenko both have high negatives. Mm-hmm. That's one issue that they have to deal with. And everyone knows who Tymoshenko and Poroshenko are, right? Right. Because they've been around for so long. So from the uh, strategy perspective, they can't change very much. So Tymoshenko is right to, to emphasize new, 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 even though she's old, old, old. Right. Well, she's different from Poroshenko, who's been running the place for the last couple of years. Do they have different campaign platforms on on the Donbass question? I don't know yet, to be frank. I... I I'm not sure how much those, those platforms will, will will diverge from each other. I mean, Poroshenko is, uh, if you look at his billboards, his his big issues are army, faith, and language. And of right. course, he's been pushing very, very hard uh, for Ukraine's uh, independent church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that will probably likely happen before the elections. Okay. Um, so he may get a kind of a, a nationalist bump if that that's the hope. His his team is hoping that if Ukraine gets an independent church, that will give him a boost, uh, that he'll get a boost from the army. There, there's been some, some cynicism that the martial law vote was an attempt uh, to also boost his, his mm-hmm. flagging numbers. I, I'm not sure I, I buy into that completely. Yes, there may have been some political uh, overtures with that. It may have been, you know, it may have He gets to come out and wear a uniform and give speeches yeah. and look tough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but that that's his, that's his base is this sort of uh, center right nationalist crowd. Uh, you know th- there there are some problems though. Por- if I were Poroshenko, uh, I would still be worried about Slava Vakarchuk, the the rock star, the yeah. most famous rock star in Ukraine. And no one knows if he's going to run. When would he have to actually declare? 
he would ha- I mean he could declare at the last moment, right? Mm-hmm. And still get on the ballot. And- yeah, he can- and he has massive name recognition. Sure. So I've interviewed Slava, I've hectored him, mm-hmm. I've talked to him, and no one knows. I mean, I check in with people in Kiev every day who talk to him, and some days it's yes, some days it's no. Uh, I think Slava is worried though that if he runs, he'll cut into Petro Poroshenko's this nationalist center right base uh-huh. and cut his support down, and Poroshenko may not make the first round. The second round. Uh, the second round. Sorry. Right. So then you would end up with Vakarchuk and Timoshenko. Potentially, or you'd you end could up end up with Timoshenko, Timoshenko and somebody else. You could else. end up with Timoshenko versus Boyko, the pro-Russian candidate. There are so many candidates right now in the race. Uh, it's sort of impossible to, to, to say how, how these things are, are going to play out. Yeah. When I, when I guess the, the front runner has only 11%, that means that everybody's bunched pretty closely. Exactly. And small swings could have a big impact. Exactly. I mean, there's there's rumors too. So another candidate that, that everyone is kind of interested in because he's new uh, is the comedian Zelensky. Uh, and there's rumors that he has a deal. So there's mm-hmm. there's rumors that Kolomoisky, one of the big oligarchs from Dnipro, is behind him. Uh, and that he's a spoiler. So he's meant to stand in the first round, mm-hmm. take some take votes, votes away from and then he'll throw his so- support behind Timoshenko. Uh-huh. So in past elections in Ukraine, there's always been a very sharp east-west divide. And the candidate who has done the best in the west has not typically done nearly as well in the east and vice versa. Um, does the polling data indicate that there's a similar split now? I think this east-west divide between Ukraine is changing, and that's borne out in a lot of the polling data. Uh, Taras Kuzio, my colleague, is, is very good on this point. He uses a couple of stats that I think are, are worth uh, going back to. He, he reminded us that 92% of Ukrainians are now are, are now identifying as Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a huge number. Uh, you've also se- you've seen massive changes in support for, for NATO and EU membership. Mm-hmm. And this is on a nationwide basis. That's right. That's right. And uh, so here, here's an, uh, a sample for you. 75% of Ukrainians view Russian influence as negative. And if you uh, dig down, uh, it's 56 to 58% in the east and the south. And only, uh, I think, uh, less than 10%, I think it's 8% are positive. Uh-huh. So but th- is that east-west divide really about views of Russia? Or is there more to it than that? I mean, is it... Because it, it, it's kind of a complicated question. I mean, I, yes, I think historically people in the East who tend to speak Russian, where there's more sort of mixed families, people who have families on both sides of the border, have identified with Russia or with at least a kind of East Slavic, you know, both Russian and Ukrainian sort of identity than people in the West. But I mean, you know, you see deep regional splits in the United States too that have more to do with history and socioeconomic status and religion and lots of other things too. So is this east-west divide and you know the way that it's played out in previous Ukrainian political uh, campaigns about things other than just how Ukrainians identify themselves vis-a-vis Russia? Sure. It's, it's a really complicated question. Uh, but I, I think the big point, though, is that the West in the center has always been negative or suspicious of Russia. But since the war, since since Russia annexed Crimea and and took the Donbass, the attitudes have changed in the east and the south. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you look at the polling uh, in the West and the center, 75 percent of Ukrainians are negative on cooperation with Russia. Mm-hmm. In the East and the South, it's 45-50. So yes, there's definitely a difference. There's about uh, you know, a 20, 25, 30 percent difference. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the broader point, if, you, if, you're, if you're interested in just pure elections, 16 percent, uh, the country has 16 percent fewer voters because right. of crime, the loss of Crimea and the Donbass. Right. So th- and that, those are the most pro-Russian 
important of all. Exactly, exactly. Those were uh, predominantly uh, opposition block voters. Many of, of my analysts uh, were worried before about a unified Russian candidate, right? Mm-hmm. That was a concern uh, a little bit candidate. ago, a pro-Russian candidate. Uh, but there's no unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't been able to get together and, and, and back a candidate. So the, the fact that there's no unity uh, and, and there's 16 percent fewer voters for the opposition block means that many people are not worried uh, about a uh, pro-Russian political party coming to power, especially in the presidential race. Right. But in terms of, you know, assuming you have Poroshenko and Timoshenko in the second round, is there likely to be a, an east-west split in terms of their support? I think you're going to see that things change. The, these these historic splits we've seen when you look at the, the voting behavior, I, I think are a lot more fluid th- mm-hmm. than we've seen in the past. Okay. We've talked about Russia. Obviously, it's sort of the 800-pound gorilla in the room in some ways. Um, have we seen much in the way of Russian attempts to influence the the conduct or the outcome of the election? And, and how do you expect Russia to respond to um, a victory of either Poroshenko or, or Timoshenko? I expect the Russians to interfere in every way possible. Ukraine is Russia's playground, and there's so many different ways to interfere in the elections. So even if there is no unified uh, pro-Russian candidate, the Russians will find a, another way to interfere. They will su- they will support uh, smaller candidates. They'll uh, try to get a block in parliament. We're focusing uh, too much, I think, on the presidential mm-hmm. race. Yeah. The parliamentary race is actually arguably more important than the presidential. Mm-hmm. Ukraine has this bizarre presidential parliamentary system, but the parliament is where the power is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and many people are worried, many Western experts are worried because Yulia Tymoshenko's party is doing very well in, in the parliamentary polls. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of questions... Uh, about her reform record mm-hmm. and also her, her views on Russia. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. If you if you look at uh, Vox Ukraine, they're the the least reform minded party uh, political party in Ukraine. Is Batkyushina? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so that actually, I mean, there's another big question here because in the West, a lot of the interest in and support for Ukraine ever since the war broke out has been predicated on the idea that we're helping Ukraine to reform. Um, that we want to see Ukraine carry out reforms to improve transparency, to improve um, functioning of democratic institutions, to create more space for civil society. We have two candidates who, again, seem to be the most likely uh, participants in the second round, neither of whom has a particularly robust record when it comes to implementing some of these reforms. Um, So what does that mean as far as Ukraine's own kind of future trajectory? Frankly, I'm worried about Ukraine. I'm worried about U.S. support for Ukraine. I'm worried about EU support for Ukraine if uh, Timoshenko or Poroshenko is reelected. I, I would slightly disagree with you, Jeff. Uh, I am not Bankova's defender. They co- we talk a lot. We shout a lot. Uh, <laughs> and I'm very critical of, of Petro Poroshenko and, and the lack of reforms on his watch. But he has done some good. I, yeah. I, I think it's, it's mm-hmm. too simplistic to just dismiss uh, the things that have happened in the last four and a half years. Mm-hmm. There has been progress. Ukraine has gotten better. It needs to do far more. It needs to do far, far more, especially on the judiciary and uh, and anti-corruption efforts. I mean, they, they know it too. I mean, that's the tragedy of Ukrainian politics is they know what they need to do, but they never do it. They mm-hmm. drag their feet and make excuses. But to get back to your question, okay, so if, if Timoshenko is elected, I'm worried that, that support is going to flag. We don't know 
how she's going to treat Russia. There's many, many people think that she's going to might be willing to cut a deal for the Donbass. She might be willing to cut a deal for Crimea. We don't know. You know, everything is a question mark with her. Everything is a negotiation. She's very smart, but she won't tell us. And her record is all over the place. So we don't know what kind of Timoshenko we're going to get. You, you know, we, we, we can predict some of her domestic policies. We know that she wants to undo all of Dr. Olana Sapruin's uh, health reforms. And, you know, from the West perspective, that that's very worrying. Those have, in the last year, in 2017, I would say that the health care reform was probably the, the most impressive reform that, that Ukraine put through. Mm-hmm. Yulia Could you talk a little bit about what it entailed? Uh, sure. So uh, right now they are are switching to the old Soviet system uh, to a system where the money follows the patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's going to take three years. So Dr. Saprun may not get a chance to fully uh, put this new system into place. So they have uh, they've asked all Ukrainians to go and sign up for their e-health system. So you go to the doctor, you pick your doctor and you fill out an online form. You give them the information and then the money follows you. And if you don't like your doctor, you, you can, can find a new one. You can somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it, the, the point is that it's incentivizing doctors to change their care, mm-hmm. to talk to people, to look people in the eye, to give better service. And from what I've seen People are getting much better service. Doctors are becoming more competitive, mm-hmm. and they're treating people like humans. <laughs> what a change! It's a it's a remarkable <laughs> change. Uh, I I don't have the, the stats on me, but Dr. Saprun was told that if you can get a couple million to sign up uh, by the end of the year, that'll be a huge success. She's she's got a huge number uh, of Ukrainians who've signed up. She's sh- overshot the mark already. Yeah, you know, if there is this kind of frustration with the slowness of the reform process. How come none of the other candidates has been able to seize on that as a as a way of attacking both Poroshenko and Timoshenko? That's a great question. I think part of it is that the, the campaign season really hasn't begun yet. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's going to get really messy and really dirty uh, very fast. You know, this is the pre-campaign season. Right. Uh, I, I've spent the last year and a half looking at the the Maidan reform vote. That That's the, the, the term that I like to use for it. Uh, and they haven't managed to unify. They've been talking and there's lots of movement. As I speak right now, one of the groups is getting organized. Um, I haven't completely written off the efforts. This is a civil society organization. There's there's at least four groups that are trying to form either a political party or a political force or a political movement Okay. right now. But this this weekend, the group that's led by uh, Mustafa Naim, Sergei Leshchenko, and Svetlana Zalashuk uh, is meeting and trying to, to get organized. There's another group that, that's that's meeting right now as we speak, uh, and they're trying to get organized. That's led by Sergei Gusovsky, a businessman from Kiev, and Max Nefedov, who was the founder of Prozoro. Okay. So we could see more parties and candidates throw their head into the ring between now and when the election happens. At this point, and there, there's two other groups that are, that are trying to get organized. Another group that I'm watching right now uh, is a group that's been in power. It's uh, Hannah Hopko, who's mm-hmm. the chairwoman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, some some of the younger MPs from Narodi Front. Uh, Ivana Sinsenadze. Uh, Sinsenadze. Uh, thank you. Thank we you. had on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she, she's part of this as well. And I think that's an interesting group because uh, they've been in government. They, yeah. you know, they know what they're doing. Um, so 
So it, it's a question of can they get organized? Can they get money? And can they find a, a, a candidate mm -hmm. uh, who's viable? And they may decide we're not going to contest in the in the presidential. We're going to contest in, in the parliamentary. A, a party that can then run in the fall for the, the parliamentary. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There, and the fourth force is a, is a small new one. Uh, and, and it's uh, centered around young people. And I, I, I don't think they're going to get their act together and be mm -hmm. a big force. But I would be watching the, the Hanno Hopko, Ivanka, and then the Gusovsky uh, mm -hmm. Nefedov. Those are, those are two groups that I think uh, have momentum behind them. The real question, though, uh, Jeff, is uh, can they unite? Mm -hmm. And there, there's some older uh, reform parties as well. We have to talk about self-reliance, some opponents, yeah. the Lviv-based party, and then also Gritsenko civic position. They all, if you're going to map them out, they all fit in the same sort of category. But they're all about the ambitions of the people behind them as much as they are about the program. And people don't always agree with each other. Who's going to get the top line? Absolutely. This is Absolutely. An old story. And, and Sadovi and Gritsenko hate each other's guts. So, the, you know, that's probably unlikely. I think mm -hmm. it would take an act of God to get them in the same room and to get them to work together. But if Slava Vakarchuk, the rock star, th does throw his name in, there's a chance that all these groups could merge together. Behind him? Behind Slava. Slava's the only candidate that can pull everyone together. Yeah, well, I mean, sometimes I guess it helps to have a celebrity at the head of the ticket, right? But l let's, <laughs> let's not diminish him. Uh, he he is a very smart man. Yeah. He, he spent a year at Stanford last year. Mm -hmm. He's like he, a physicist, right? He has got a PhD in physics. He's read. He, he promised me and looked me in the eye and he told me, I have read Francis Fukuyama's 800-page tome <laughs> on origins of the political order. And look, I got a couple of degrees in political science. I've never read it. I don't know if you have. But he also spent a, a semester at Yale as well. So he's done deep reading, serious study. He's hmm. He's from an intellectual family in Lviv. You know, mm -hmm. let, let's not write him off. He is a rock star. He's charismatic. He's amazing. I like to take selfies with him too. But he's <laughs> he's also, you know, he's he's a deep thinker too. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a, an unusual combination because usually the ones who are charismatic don't have the the sort of intellectual chops and vice versa. He, but he, he he does have a lot of depth. Yeah. I, I am worried, though, about a couple of things with him. Uh, he he did hold elective office. Mm -hmm. He was a member of parliament right after the Orange Revolution. But he did something really dumb. He, 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 quit. he quit. Yeah. So he's a quitter. And I think that's one of the, the problems he's going to have to deal with. I also think he's just very green. Mm -hmm. So I've seen him. I, I've, I've interacted with him a couple of times. He spoke at Stanford back in October. Uh, and he he's very superficial. I mean, okay, yes, he's a rock star. But his idea of, you know, great talking points are have thick skin. I mean, that that's, the, that, give it, you gotta, you gotta give me something more than that. Mm -hmm. You know, in Ukraine, I'm I mean, it's good advice, but it's not sufficient in and of itself. But what are your ideas, man? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm frustrated with him because I know he has great depth. Uh, and he's, a lot deeper when he's in, in a Ukrainian-Russian speaking environment. He writes op-eds, mm -hmm. you know, about police reform. Uh, he has thought about these things. But when he's in a U.S. audience, I don't know why, but he veers away from specific policies. Hmm. Yeah, the U.S. audience isn't going to be voting, of course. No, but we, we follow Ukraine deeply. I mean, yeah. many people, and there's a huge Ukrainian diaspora here. But th there's a couple of reasons why I, I'm a little worried about him as a candidate, too. He said some bizarre things about Russia, and he mm -hmm. said some bizarre things about judicial reform. So, uh, you know, he, he's probably not ready. Okay, so we're sitting here in Washington trying to make sense of, of Ukraine's election. Why should people in the West, in the United States, care how this election goes, whether Poroshenko or Timoshenko is the next Ukrainian president, what difference is it going to make? So it's easy to get lost in the weeds on a discussion like this. But at its core, this question, who will govern Ukraine, is, is a question about individual choice. It's a question about do Ukrainians have the right to choose 
their their freedom and their destiny. Not to sound like a hopeless romantic, Jeff. I hope you'll <laughs> forgive me. But U- Ukrainians in in, uh, in 2013 and 2014 decided that they wanted to be part of the West and that they wanted to shape their own destiny. And Yanukovych, the the president at the time, said no. And, and this is this is an existential uh, choice for many Ukrainians. They they want to be part of the EU. They want to study in EU universities. They want to live and work there. They want to be part of a normal European system. They don't want to be part of Russia anymore. Right. But is it going to matter which of these candidates wins on on all of those issues? I, I think it will. I think it will. I mean, I'm just dis- frankly, I'm disappointed. And I know Ukrainians, especially civil societies and the reformers are disappointed that the choice is going to be between a bad candidate and a worse candidate, right? <laughs> Neither of these guys are, are uh, amazing reformers. Mm-hmm. Petro Poroshenko has done some good. Timoshenko is probably going to be a disaster for the reform agenda, right? Mm-hmm. She she may jail the, the NAFTA gas executives. She's probably going to, to chase Dr. Saprun out of town, the, the health mm-hmm. minister, who's done a lot of good in my view. Uh, she may chase a lot of reformers out. I mean, she, she may operate with impunity. She said a lot of really outrageous things. Uh, you know, in Ukrainian, and she thinks she can get away with it. Because um, nobody in the West is reading the Ukrainian press. Actually, we are. Yeah. Well, and, right. That's and, <laughs> She thinks she can get away with it, but. <laughs> but she, ho- hopefully more and more people, uh, you know, start to dig in and, and look at some of the, the, the irresponsible things that she said. Um, but, you know, it, the, the choice is not a great one. But I think if Poroshenko is reelected and there are reform forces in the parliament, Ukraine will continue to make slow but steady progress. Mm-hmm. One other question, I guess, which is Ukrainian elections have in the past, for the most part, been competitive, free and fair and and all the rest. We've talked about the Russia angle already and Russian attempts to interfere. But are there other concerns uh, that you have about the actual conduct of the election and whether it's going to be a a true reflection of the, the state of Ukrainian opinion? Yes, there's a lot of reasons to be concerned about the elections. My colleague Brian Mefford, who lives in Kiev, he's a political consultant, is uh, really worried about the role that the Central Election Commission will play. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an article on our website about that. So Brian Mefford, Central Election Commission, Ukraine. Uh, we're also worried about cyber attacks. We're worried that the Russians may attack the the voting infrastructure. Mm-hmm. We're worried. Uh, I'm personally worried that there may be violence before the elections. Uh, you know, and and the Russians could do it in a number of ways. They can heat things up up in the Donbass. They can heat things up down in the Sea of Azov or, or the Black Sea. So when you say violence, you mean interstate violence, not sort of civil unrest. It could be either one. It could be either one. I mean, there's 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 a lot of guns in Ukraine right now, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of uh, veterans who've come home, uh, and there's a lot of anger at the at the current uh, regime. Mm-hmm. And all of these things can be turned up and turned down very easily. So it, it's it's an interesting race to watch. You know, as a political scientist, it's fascinating <laughs> right. just looking at the politics. Then you add all the other variables. Uh, and, you know, it's a completely unpredictable race because of all those variables. Yeah, which is one thing to, that has to be said in Ukraine's favor, which is that in comparison to a lot of its neighbors, a couple months out from the election, it is unpredictable. Uh, and we don't know what's going to happen. And I think in a region where we've gotten used to kind of stage-managed successions and elections that don't actually reflect the public will, Ukraine has always stood out for being able to at least approximate that. Absolutely. I, I've been an election observer in many parts of the former Soviet Union, especially Kazakhstan. And, you know, when I fly over, you know, 10 days before the elections, you, you know who's going to win. So uh, that's one of the reasons why Ukrainian politics are so fascinating. 
Yeah. Well, this is obviously something we're going to be watching closely. And uh, hopefully after the election, we can have you back to analyze what did happen. Thank you very much. I'd love to come back. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank you again for joining us. That's our show today. Uh, You can access Melinda's bio through a link that we'll provide in the show notes. If you haven't, you should subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And if you don't use iTunes, you can check us out and subscribe on Google Play or SoundCloud. This is your biweekly reminder to send us mailbag questions. We are going to do uh, another mailbag session here shortly after the new year. You can send uh, your questions to rep at csis.org and put the words Russian roulette in the subject line. And finally, you can follow us on Twitter at CSIS Russia, and you can follow Olya at Olya Oliker, and you can follow me at Dr. J. Mankoff. And of course, once again, big thank you to everybody who works so hard every week to make the podcast happen. Uh, That includes our research associate and program manager, Cyrus Newland, and the whole CSIS external relations and iLab team. Thanks again, and happy holidays. 